0: For so much paralyzing terror. The sadistic leader of the Bloody Brew, whose only philosophy is anything goes. Welcome to the Weirdoverse. I am J.D. Ross, your guide through the unusual, through the strange, through the weird. And you are listening to Weird Wide, Possibly the weirdest podcast you've listened to today. But I don't know. I can't possibly know that, can I? So today we are jumping right into today's topic. Uh, we're going to be looking at a really weird time in history. A time where there was a lot at stake for artists. A uh, time where there was a lot at stake for free expression. Uh, we are talking about a time when a bunch of ladies from Washington, D.C. decided to take on the music industry and were stopped by some very unlikely heroes. Today, we're going to be talking about the PMRC and their battle with heavy metal. So the PMRC formed in 1985 and was led by Tipper Gore. Now, you might recognize Tipper Gore as the longtime wife of former vice president and at one point presidential hopeful Al Gore. Uh, They were married from 1970 to 2010. They are no longer married. Now, Tipper was having a bit of an issue with uh, the way music was being portrayed to young and impressionable minds at the time. And she decided to do something about it by forming the Parents Music Resource Center, whose aims were stopping the poisonous heavy metal from seeping into the young and impressionable minds of the nation. This sparked a massive debate on censorship and music's place in art and how far art can actually go. Now, I'm going to be talking a lot of shit about Tipper and the PMRC throughout this episode, uh, so I do feel like I do need to say up front that while she was a notorious pain in the ass, uh, we do have to lay out that uh, the PMRC was not her only social initiative. While it is her most well-known She has also championed mental health awareness, women and children's rights, rights of the LGBTQ plus community, and efforts at reducing homelessness. So while she is absolutely the villain in this particular story, she has done some good. I feel the need to point that out. Now, also considering what she's most known for, which is taking on the heavy metal community uh, and uh, basically and, you know, basically coming off as someone who's very anti-music, she actually has a little bit of a background in music. Tipper was actually a drummer in an all-girl band in high school called The Wildcats. I would love to see if there's any Wildcat tunes that exist. I'm assuming since they were just a high school band, probably not the case. But she has actually played live shows with the likes of The Grateful Dead willie nelson and herbie hancock so it is kind of weird that she is a very uh, a pretty uh, pretty artistic person who ended up on a crusade seemingly against music now tipper founded the pmrc with a group of women that came to be known as the washington wives all of them had massive connections in washington dc at the time so let's meet some of the supporting players of the pmrc we've got susan baker wife of treasury secretary at the time james baker now, James Baker was a, a Republican power player at the time. Uh, he was White House Chief of Staff under Reagan, Treasury Secretary during the PMRC, and later on was the Secretary of State under the first Bush. Then you've got Pam Hauer, uh, wife of Raymond Howard, a D.C. realtor, which is kind of funny to me that you can actually uh, be a position of power as a realtor. I've been a realtor in a small town, and I don't think I had any real power. So I'm assuming not every single realtor in D.C. has the kind of power that Raymond Howard did. And then you've got Sally Nebius, wife of John Nebius, former Washington City Council chairman. I believe he was like the last one. Uh, to be the city council chairman before they, you know, changed up whatever they were doing there. The PMRC was formed in 1985 with concerns from the Washington Wives, again, about what their children were being influenced by from modern music. They had financial support from the likes of Mike Love of the Beach Boys and Joseph Coors, the owner of uh, the Coors Brewing Company, both of which were very involved in Reagan's campaign. And Coors even provided office space for the PMRC to operate. Uh, it is interesting to me. Uh, Mike Love is the most hated member by far of the uh, of the Beach Boys. Uh, I think he, I'm pretty, he was the lead singer for most of the time. Uh, the Wilson brothers, I believe at this point, have all but cut him off. Mike Love is a notorious asshole, so it doesn't entirely surprise me considering how much he was involved with the Reagan administration and how much he's known to be just a massive pain in the ass. Doesn't surprise me that he fund that he helped fund this organization. Now Joseph Coors, uh, he was the owner of the time, like I said, of the Coors uh, Brewing Company. That's the Silver Bullet. That's the ones that, uh, that's the ones where uh, you put your shit in the uh, fridge and it lets you know when the snowy mountains start to turn white, that it's cold. There's probably a lot we could cover on uh, the Coors family. Uh, One little side note uh, that I did find uh, of interest, uh, his grandfather, the original uh, founder of Coors, Adolph Coors, uh, which great name for a German, you know, you definitely it's a uh, I don't feel like there's ever I don't feel like any case of a German being named Adolf is ever a good thing anymore. He actually has a mild connection to my old stomping grounds. I grew up in the Virginia Beach area and Adolf, uh, he nobody's totally sure he either jumped or was pushed or just fell from the sixth floor of the Cavalier Hotel in Virginia Beach. So weird little connection there. Now, after the PMRC form, they immediately got to work and they did have a bit of an agenda. The first thing they attempted to do was to have the RIAA, that's the Recording Industry Association of America, develop a music label system similar to the Motion Picture Association of America that never really came to be the RIAA the they, those are the ones that they do the uh, sales certification so gold platinum all them that's the RIAA that's the RIAA that is hard to say the recording in the the recording industry association of america now, they also attempted to pressure the record industry into doing things such as printing, like we, printing warning labels and lyrics on the album covers, forcing record stores to put albums with explicit covers under the counters, uh, basically trying to remove them from public view, pressuring TV stations not to broadcast explicit songs or videos, or even reassessing the contracts of musicians who perform violently or sexually uh, in concert. And trying to create a panel to set uh, the industry standards, so this is definitely you can definitely already see from their early just from their early actions you can already start to see kind of the seeds of where they 're kind of uh, coming from they 're not coming off uh, as anything to me but censors now one of the big actions that the PMRC took was compiling a list of fifteen songs in popular music at the time, uh, ones that they found to be uh, just a little bit too much for young minds. They were dubbed the Filthy Fifteen. Now let's go over the Filthy Fifteen. Let's see exactly what was on the Filthy Fifteen uh, that they found so questionable. Prince, Darling Nikki. I can't imagine having a problem with Prince. Has anyone in the history of the world really had a problem with Prince? I don't know, maybe. I don't know much about Prince, to be honest. Darling Nikki was said to uh, have lyrics uh, regarding sex and masturbation. That, Uh, young the young minds were singing along to and were very impressionable too there was sheena easton and her song sugar walls uh that's a pretty good uh that's a pretty good one uh sugar walls i like that uh clearly a reference to the vagina i like that one uh sugar walls i'm gonna use that one i'm gonna i'm gonna see i'm gonna see if i can work that into casual conversation clearly about sex Judas Priest made the list with Eat Me Alive, claiming that song was about forced oral sex at gunpoint. Maybe. Vanity. Strap on Robbie Baby. Clearly about sex. Uh, That's a strong take for the 80s. Uh, Strap on Robbie Baby. Love it. Motley Crue. Bastard. Now, is this even really the worst song they could have gone with with Crew? Bastard off the album, uh, Shout at the Devil. There's there, there's quite a bit they could have uh, taken you know, taken issue with with Crew, and they chose Bastard. I don't know, just seems a little odd to me. ACDC, Let Me Put My Love Into You, clearly about sex. Now, this one I found extremely interesting. Uh, they really picked on Twisted Sister, which is going to come up a little bit later in the episode. But they had a real problem with We're Not Gonna Take It misinterpreted as a song glorifying violence. I don't know. If you listen to it, it's more of an anthem. That's why you hear it at baseball games, football games, all that kind of shit. Madonna, dress you up. That one's about sex. You know, I feel like Madonna, her whole thing was about sex. Yeah, just is what it it is. is. She was a feminine figure that broke the barriers of, of sex from a feminine perspective. Def Leopard, High and Dry, Saturday Night—clearly uh, glorifying drug and alcohol use. You know that's just a rocking song, dude. Like, why do you gotta be like that? Why do you gotta? Why do you gotta go after Def Leopard? Now, this is where it starts to get a little bit interesting here. So they start to go past the sex stuff. It was a lot of sex. A lot of sex was was on the Filthy Fifteen was their issue. But they started to get into uh, where I really have a problem here is uh, as far as interpretational things goes, especially putting it into the hands of the government is the reasons for some of the next songs. Uh, Merciful Fate, Into the Coven, saying that it was a song about the occult. Now, around this time, the satanic panic was going on, and there was a lot of devil ramblings, if you play the record backward kind of shit. Uh, so, you know, they really started to attack the, uh, the occult, anything that was occult. King Diamond of Merciful Fate. Uh, I believe he is actually a real life Satanist, but he's also apparently a really nice dude. So leave leave King diamond alone, you know, venom possessed. Also about the occult. I'm a little bit surprised that they even had venom on their radar. To be honest, Uh, venom, you know, the, one of the one of the you know another '80s satanic band, but this band on many occasions has said that they did the occult stuff simply because they thought it was fun. They they don't believe in any of it. They're just having a good time. There's also the Mary Jane Girls with "In My House," and this one just pisses me off. Cyndi Lauper, Shebop, uh, they're mad about that one because of masturbation. I won't have anyone talking shit negatively about cindy lopper cindy lopper is my first crush i've always loved cindy lopper so tipper can fuck off now the one song on this list that probably maybe they have a little bit of a point here is a song by a band called wasp called animal fuck like a beast hell yeah some of the early innovators of the 80s heavy metal scene fronted by Blackie Lawless, who was all about the images of Satanism and living a crazy sex-fueled life, drug-fueled, sex, drugs, rock and roll. That's what Blackie Lawless was all about. Now, it just so happens that uh, we do actually have a special guest here with us in the studio. We've got Blackie Lawless to set the record straight about his song animal fuck like a beast so welcome everyone the filthy offender himself mr blackie lawless that's right it's me blackie lawless from wow all right so blackie some of your colleagues have said that there are cases of misinterpretation in, in song lyrics uh do you think this could be a case for you as well Oh, of course! We always try to come from a place of deep artistic expression when writing, and I feel like this was definitely accomplished. Okay, so then your song, Animal, Fuck Like a Beast, what is it actually about? Well, you know, I really wanted to get into the beast, because to truly understand the beast, you really need to get right up inside the beast to fuck like a beast. I don't really know how else to say this, uh, but it sounds like from what you're saying, your song is less about fucking like a beast and more like fucking a beast. Mr. Lawless, is this song about bestiality? You know, art is really about interpretation. Like, what is the beast? Is it a sheep? Or maybe a goose? Perhaps a Yellowstone bison on the prowl? I'm gonna be honest, Mr. Lawless. Tipper may have been right about this one. Well, again, art is about interpretation. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with me through that one. I know that was grating at best. Now, this whole series of events was covered uh, in a VH1 original movie uh, back in the early 2000s. Uh, D. Snyder, who from Twisted Sister, who will come up later in the episode, he actually played himself. It's pretty fucking sweet. Uh, fun, fun little story about that. I was actually watching that because it is available. The full movie is available on YouTube. So uh, I do recommend you checking it out. My wife was work was at work while I was doing some research for the episode. And I had to watch. I had to watch it. You know, I had to watch after I finished uh, doing all, all the research. And uh, there's a part where a, uh, a preacher guy or pastor or whatever he is. He is uh, reading lyrics out loud. Uh, that are offensive to a a group of churchgoers. And he happens to be reading a song by the mentors or just mentors. um, A song called golden showers. The lyrics are hilarious. Uh, Look up the lyrics of the song. My wife walks in the door as this preacher is saying the words, smell my anal vapor. I will use your face as my toilet paper i tell you, man, there is just no better part in that movie that she could have walked in on. That was priceless. And I had uh, we, we had a, we had a pretty good chuckle about that. So that's becoming an in joke with us. Smell my anal vapor. <laughs> now, none of this would have really mattered if it hadn't really if it hadn't gone anywhere. But the Washington wives were not stupid. They plugged into the connections they had through their husbands and they actually got to a point after numerous uh, television appearances and radio appearances and speaking events, uh, stirring up, you know, the whole stirring up a big buzzard's nest about this whole situation. They were able to organize an actual Senate hearing. The record industry actually began to fold to Tipper's bullshit. And in August, 1985, 19 record companies actually agreed to put warning labels on the covers One of their big deals was trying to get labels on the covers. It really reminds me of the Dennis Leary stand up about cigarettes. You know, uh, people wanted to put bigger warning labels on the uh, on on cigarettes as if like that was what was going to deter people, as if people were going to see the warning label. These are bad for me. It's along the same lines. I just don't understand what they think a fucking warning label is going to do. Now, before they sealed the deal and labels were to be put in place, the Senate agreed to have a hearing on so-called porn rock they actually called it porn rock like I just uh, you know this is what this is what politicians do they waste your fucking time over shit that really should come down to uh, you know as far as what they were aiming for it should really come down to the parents Uh, it's as a parent it's your job to fucking uh, figure out to, to monitor your kids and what they're taking in and what they're what they're absorbing You know, they were wasting their time with this shit in 1985. The the AIDS epidemic was going strong. You know, the Unabomber had already started doing his thing. You know, there are bigger things to worry about. Fuck, new coke happened in 1985. You know, there were bigger fucking problems. But sure, let's focus on porn rock. Now, the hearing on porn rock was held on September 19th, 1985. Now, let's get into somebody who wasn't part of the PMRC, but was definitely an ally. Senator Paula Hawkins. Uh, senator Paula Hawkins uh, looks like the most obnoxious school marm type you've ever seen, like right out of central casting. Uh, she was a senator from, I believe, Florida. She had the big poofy hair. She you know, talked. It was you know, clear that her whole thing was from a very churchy perspective. Not somebody you want to put in charge of this kind of thing. During the hearing, Hawkins held up three separate album covers, Def Leppard's Pyromania, claiming violence, you know, with the uh, set fire to the set fire to the building that clearly telling the children set fire to the building w o w by wendy o williams uh if you don't know wendy o williams is she is basically the uh female equivalent of lemmy from motorhead she is a uh, punk figure from uh the 1980s uh actually i think the 70s even uh very raspy voice she didn't give a fuck man wendy o williams was fucking hardcore she flaunted her sexuality before it was like she opened a lot of doors like Madonna gets a lot of the credit. Wendy, O she get a lot more credit than she does. Wendy is fucking awesome. Rest in peace. And of course, the final album that Hawkins held up was Wasp's self-titled debut album featuring Animal, Fuck Like a Beast, uh, which was actually banned in the U.S. Uh, it was actually very, very hard to get in the U.S. It was it was released only in the U.K., I believe. And she made the comment, much has changed since Elvis's seemingly innocent times, subtleties, suggestions, and innuendo have given way to overt expressions and descriptions of often violent sexual acts, drug taking, and flirtations with the occult. The record album covers are, to me, are self-explanatory. See, this is what happens when you let a school marm in charge of this kind of shit. Um, Yeah, whatever. Now, along with holding up the album covers, she also played two music videos, one Van Halen, hot for teacher. Oh, they had a problem with that one because uh, because, you know, you can't have kids, kids in school, uh, you know, like you can't you can't have scenes of, a, of kids in school where where uh, all of a sudden there's a hot teacher. You know, you can't have can't, can't 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 even teach the kids about sex. We can't be talking about this kind of thing, even though it's a very relatable song. I mean. I feel like most people, if not all people, have had throughout their school career or throughout their time in school, at least one teacher they had the hots for. I had a Spanish teacher that I had the massive hots for. Uh, It is what it is. You know, people get hot for teachers. They were speaking to the kids. The other video that she played was Twisted Sister. We're not going to take it. They really had a problem with Twisted Sister susan baker was up next again they all just seem like the uh the most obnoxious church ladies ever like the whole thing comes off like just a bunch of fucking local church ladies like a bunch of old biddies, just got together and just 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 had a fucking bitch fit about things the only difference is they had actual power susan baker tried to literally blame teen suicide and teen pregnancy on rock music they love blaming uh, Ozzy and ACDC uh, Ozzy's song Suicide Solution came up uh, one of the most misunderstood songs in the history of music, I feel um, it's been stated, you know, it, it's been blamed for a lot of things a lot of times, but the, the thing is, is the song is not about suicide, it doesn't glorify suicide, the song is actually about ACDC singer Bon Scott, who drank himself to death. And the song was a tribute from Ozzy to his his late friend Ozzy. You know, obviously uh, playing with Black Sabbath and then his solo career has been friends with pretty much everyone in the you know, rock and metal industry. And, you know, he was very close to Bon Scott. And the song was a tribute to his friend. Uh, you know, it's just because the word suicide is in the title. People just love to blame Ozzy for shit. And I think that's fucking horseshit brought a bunch, a bunch of other stuffy old suit motherfuckers. They all look half dead. Uh, The one guy is all, uh, you know, rock music doesn't appeal to me at all, Uh, but it does appeal to my my children and my grandchildren. It's like, no one gives a fuck what you think, grandpa. Like it's a problem I still have with politics of like, you know, this is like, you got people that are going to be dead in the next five years. Some of them were um, dead within the next five years. And they're imposing this will, like, why don't you step down? Why don't you let some younger blood in there? Because other people are going to have to deal with the consequences of your actions. I don't fucking care for it. And the uh, more ironic thing is he goes on to say, I find it difficult to impose my beliefs on others uh, just because I don't agree with it, which is hilarious because you're literally holding a congressional hearing trying to do just that. Kids did not and still to this day do not want to be told what to do and what to think by some half dead grandpa who happens to have some kind of political power. It's not right. That's why they're rebelling in the first place. Now, they all go back to throughout now throughout the hearing, they all go back to having free speech, but also kind of not. Paula Hawkins literally saying at one point, no one has the right to poison our children. Get fucked. Now, this is where we meet our heroes of the story, three very unlikely musicians who allied together to stop the tyranny that was the PMRC and this fucking kangaroo court who was trying to uh, who, who was moving, who was moving faster and faster towards censorship. Let's meet a few of them right now. Frank Zappa, Frank Zappa. Uh, he is, uh, you know, he's one of those kind of people. OK, now here's the thing. I've never really I can even admit I've never really been super into Zappa's music, but like Zappa as an, an entertainer, as an icon, as a person, uh, he, he's an absolute icon. In the history of music and, and American culture, it's really not—it's uh, not every day that like a song, like a song like uh, let's take uh, for example, uh, let's take "Smoke on the Water." "Smoke on the Water" directly references Frank Zappa and his band, the Mothers of Invention. Uh, it's not every day that a song that everyone in the entire fucking world knows just it just gets just gets name dropped like that. Frank Zappa was a living legend. We also had D. Snyder. Uh, love D. D is a fucking D. D is a still living god. Uh, the frontman of Twisted Sister, all around good dude. Everyone loves D Snyder. And then the most unlikely of the bunch, John Denver, the guy who did the uh, Rocky Mountain High song. Uh, he also did well. He he did a bunch of uh, country songs. He was like kind of the the nice country boy. Uh, you know, he did. Thank God I'm a country boy. Sunshine on my shoulders. Take me home. Country road, West Virginia to the players. I, I don't care for John John Denver's music that much, but again, with what he did, with what he managed to pull off in this whole situation, love me some John Denver. Now it was Zappa that started out. Now Frank came out with some extremely obvious things, like referencing the Wasp album where Blackie Lawless has a buzzsaw between his legs, saying things like. A buzz saw blade between a guy's legs is probably a good indication that this isn't for little Johnny, uh, making a great point for the responsibility that the responsibility falls to the parents to keep questionable things away from their kids, not Congress, not society, no way, shape or form. Now, Zappa did also uh, have a little bit of uh, another personal agenda. He he threw in uh, there was uh, I was I I didn't look too far into there's a tax that they were trying to impose. He also had some thoughts about that, that they were trying to kind of ram that through with this whole thing. You know, he might have been right. I don't I don't know. I didn't I didn't look into that part. He also pointed out in reference to uh, a lot of the churchy shit and uh, keeping their kids, uh, keeping, keeping thoughts and and things away from children that not all parents want to keep their kids ignorant. That's why Zappa's got four awesome adult kids now. Zappa fucking rules. At one point, Paula Hawkins actually tried to throw the uh, idea for putting the age rating on toys. You know, basically like, you know, this toy is uh, for ages five to five to 11. This toy is for that. And Zappa came back with a disagreement because he said that means someone in an office decided how smart they believe my kids are. That is fucking brilliant. You know, when you actually stop and think about it, that's a good point. You know, you can't just put a blanket thing over that. Like not every five to 11 year old is going to be meant for the same fucking uh, same same toys. It just doesn't work that way. Hawkins says to him, I'd be interested to see what toys your kids have. And Frank, ever the rock star, comes back with, come on over to the house. I'll show them to you. It was actually pretty funny. I did watch some of the, uh, some of the hearing. It's available on like c Some of it's available on YouTube. Uh, to see Paula Hawkins' face when he said that was pretty priceless. Now, unexpected hero John Denver comes out next. Now, a lot of people were actually not sure what side of this he was going to land on. With his squeaky clean image, a lot of people actually thought he was going to side for the PMRC. But Denver came out and shocked everyone. He discussed being opposed to censorship of any kind because the people in charge of censorship very often misinterpret the content. And he brought up his song, Rocky Mountain High, and how a lot of radio stations actually refused to play the song because it had been labeled as a drug song and banned from several radio stations. He's quoted in this hearing as saying, this was decided by people who had never seen or been to the Rocky Mountains and had never experienced the elation, celebration of life, or the joy of living that one feels when they observe something as wondrous as the Perseid meteor shower on a moonless cloudless night when there are so many stars that you have a shadow from the starlight out camping with your best friends, introducing them to one of nature's most spectacular light shows for the first time. Obviously a clear case of misinterpretation. What assurance do I have that a national panel would make any better judgment? Fuck yeah, John fucking Denver. John fucking Denver, like I said, Not necessarily my cup of tea, but I will go to the grave respecting the eloquence and artistry and expression that that man had. I mean, to come out and and be able to express your song, your 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 music in such a way. Oh, just beautiful. It's actually it's breathtaking. It will. It gives me chills. It gave me chills when I watched the footage of it. Now, he went on to say that the suppression of the people begins with the suppression of the spoken word and referenced literally the Nazis in their book burnings. This actually caused one or two uh, senators to walk out of the hearing, saying that that which is denied becomes most interesting. Literally making something of a forbidden fruit argument that the kids are that the very kids are trying to protect against will go out of their way to seek and obtain. The problem has to do with the willingness of parents. John Denver was absolutely 100% ahead of his time and his thinking, uh, in my personal opinion. Uh, A lot of people, like I said, expected him to side with the PMRC. He ended with saying about how you can tell a lot by what the children are thinking, by what music they surround themselves with. A child considering suicide does not see a better future economically or societally, and they don't feel safe speaking to their parents. And so... They put a gun in their mouth. The absolute unsung hero of this whole situation, John Denver fucking rules. Now to wrap up this whole musical assault on the U S Senate comes my man from twisted sister D fucking Snyder. I fucking love D Snyder D I doubt you're listening right now. The show is young, but if you happen to be listening, I would love to have you on this fucking show. I fucking love D Snyder. D is the fucking man. This motherfucker shows up. You can still see the footage today. This motherfucker shows up in a sleeveless shirt, beautiful, glowing hair, just flowing, looking like the 80s metal god that he is. Now, he talked about a bunch of different misinterpretations that Tipper and the PMRC had made. He brought up his song, Under the Blade, which Tipper had published a full page article attacking, saying it promoted violence. But like Denver before him, it had been misinterpreted. Tipper believed it had imagery of sadomasochism, bondage, and rape. It was written actually for Twisted Sister guitarist Eddie Ojeda, who was having throat polyps removed and was nervous going into surgery. Snyder's quoted saying, "The sadomasochism, bondage, or rape are all in Miss Gore's mind." This was written as a tribute. This was written for one of his bandmates. It's fucking beautiful, actually. Next he addressed, we're not going to take it, which was which was given a V rating for violence by the PMRC. They made up their own little bullshit rating system. Uh, there's literally no violence whatsoever in the lyrics. If you if you go through the lyrics, there's not a shred of actual violence. It's literally a stand up and just be enthused song. That's all it is. But it's often thought that the PMRC confused the music video for the song with the intent. And D said, you know, so this is the one. OK, now this is the one where the uh, kid is uh, he's sitting at dinner and the dad is Niedermeyer from uh, Animal House. You know, the fucking uh, the Nazi guy from Animal House. So he plays the dad and he hears the music and what is that? That's." Music so over the top. I love it. The, the, the Twisted Sister music videos are the absolute best. He goes up there, he goes up to you know, talk to his kid, and you know, who are you? What do you want to do with your life? I carried an M16, and you carry that, that, that guitar. And that's when the kid he just looks at his dad, he goes, I want to rock, fucking hits the chord. And the court is so powerful that it sends the dad flying out the window. This is where they started to get with the violence and shit. Then the kid turns into D Snyder, right? Fucking starts starts spinning and shit. And all of a sudden, D Snyder is the fucking kid. He's just fucking fucking d snyder and all his fucking glory if you haven't seen what d snyder looked like at full twisted sister glory you need to look up what this guy looked like watch this fucking video it's fucking awesome now all of a sudden the kid's brothers he's got four brothers downstairs and they were just kind of silent through the whole thing all of a sudden they start turning into the other members of twisted sister right and then all of a sudden they just take over the fucking house and you know the mom is kind of like fuck this guy like fuck the dad like you know she's kind of on the kid's side and they go they basically start you know just like this whole cycle of the dad trying to stop them and continuously getting knocked down getting blown up something happening but then in the next scene he's fine you know so d points out that this was simply a roadrunner coyote joke brought to life brought up to show uh, you know just how like yeah it's just the most like as as a living cartoon and then he even brought up how the united way was granted usage of the song at the time probably still are because of the lighthearted way it presents communicating with teenagers fucking d snyder fucking rules god damn now he also brought up how tipper had lied saying that she had seen twisted sister t-shirts featuring a woman spread eagle and handcuffed but d pointed out The Twisted Sister had never produced or sold such a T-shirt, and the band had always taken great pains to avoid sexism in their merchandise, live shows, and personal lives. D was actually very about, like, this is not a band that's, like, simply for the male audience. This is not a band that's simply for the female audience. It's for both. It's for one audience. It's for everybody. He said that Tipper had been slanderous because, like I said, The Rock was for everybody. And he said, as a parent, it's his job and his wife's job to monitor what their children consume. It comes down to parental responsibility alone. D absolutely destroyed these stuffy fucks with nothing more than eloquent common sense. Now, at one point, one of the senators actually came back and uh, tried to say that D had attacked Senator Gore's wife, you know, because uh, Al Gore was on the fucking panel, which is ridiculous, you know. uh, Fucking unbiased panel, my ass. You know, when you got your fucking, when you got your husband, it's not unbiased. It's not unbiased at all. D comes back with basically, no, no, no. I attacked a member of the PMRC who happens to be married to a member of this panel. Funny how that works out. Fucking D is the man. (sighs) Now, despite this incredibly eloquent and brutal. Assault against the Senate on November 1st, 1985, before the the hearings were even over, despite, like I said, the outstanding statements by Zappa, Denver, and Snyder, the industry caved, and the RIAA agreed to slap the parental advisory stickers on every questionable album. Now, they didn't do what a lot of what the PMRC wanted. The PMRC wanted uh, specific ratings, uh, very specific, you know, this and that, wanted the lyrics printed. They decided to keep it very generic. Walmart actually refused to carry albums with the sticker, and some record shops kept them loaded to parents only. But the funny thing about it is the sticker actually had the complete opposite effect the PMRC had wanted. It created a forbidden fruit effect because metal album sales were booming into the 90s. Uh, there's still no definitive stats on whether or not the stickers actually prevented kids from being exposed to them, probably not, because the people were in the hearings completely missed the point. They were the man, and the kids wanted to give the middle finger to the man. They didn't want to be told what to do, what to listen to, how to think, like grandpa senators and churchy school moms. The sticker did nothing but help give the kids a target on how to form the soundtrack to their rebellion, fuck yeah, metal! Now, of course, a lot of people in the music industry had a lot of reactions to it. Uh, you know, you can you, you can look at a series of uh, different uh, different reactions here. Uh, let's look at a couple of the big ones here. So, one of the biggest uh, so one of the biggest reactions to it, I think, at least one of the most uh, famous, one of the most recognizable, uh, Danzig with his solo career. Released the song "Mother," which scored a top fifty hit uh, as probably the most famous song about the PMRC labeling and its inherent problems. Mother, tell your children not to walk my way. Tell your children not to hear my words. What they mean, what they say. Mother, now, now, Mother, fuck yeah, dude. Fucking Danzig rules. Punk band No Effects released an EP titled "The PMRC Can Suck On This." Yeah, John Lydon, a.k.a. Johnny Rotten commented uh, in a world with major pollution and guns ablaze. They have to pick on someone using foul language. Uh, I don't give a fuck about Johnny Rotten, but he makes a good point there. Ice T made a comment on the uh, with one song in particular. Ice T fucking rules, man. Uh, one song in particular, uh, "Freedom of Speech," uh, is it basically a long attack on Tipper Gore. Uh, here's some of the lyrics from that. Uh, Yo, Tip, what, I'm not going to try to wrap this. Yo, Tip, what's the matter? You ain't getting no dick. You're bitching about rock and roll. That censorship, dumb bitch. The Constitution says we ha- we all got a right to free speech. Say what we want, Tip. Your argument is weak. Fuck yeah, dude fucking iced tea man love that guy and a whole host of other bands over the years uh, a lot of different uh different random things you know the, the references to the whole situation on in their music the ramones with censorship uh anthrax with uh, starting up a posse you got suicidal tendencies with uh the song lovely even eminem in 2002 referenced tipper gore it's crazy so can we really say what the effect was the washington wives attempted censorship and it seems like it backfired. And the kids said, fuck you. I fucking love it. That's fucking metal. That's the spirit of the whole thing. Standing up to the man, not backing down. Fuck the politicians. Fuck the politicians. And I'm glad they put the label on it. And I'm glad it fucking backfired. Only for that reason. I'm glad that it backfired and made the kids want it even more. Fuck yes. So I want to know what you think at home. Let me know your thoughts. Send me an email at weirdwidepodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on TikTok. You can find me on Instagram as Dudeist weirdo. Uh, if you're listening to the show, give us a five-star rating on uh, Apple iTunes. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, give us, give us a like. Follow us. Fucking leave a comment. I wanna hear what you fucking have to say. What do you have to say? Tell me your thoughts. Tune in next week for another installment of Strangers. And until then, keep it weird.